0: Hear them the word of our God. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve, After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen, and if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. But now Christ is risen from the dead. And has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And then in Romans 4, having spoken of Abraham's faith, that he was justified by his faith, we read, Now it is not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but also for us. It shall be imputed to us who believe in him who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. And then Acts 4:32 through 35 we have just a sample of one of many places in Acts where we see the church spreading and we read now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. Nor was there any one among them who lacked. For all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold, and laid them at the apostles' feet, and they distributed to each as anyone had need. And then Paul, writing towards the end of his life, to Timothy writes, "At my first defense." No one stood with me, but all forsook me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that the message might be preached fully through me and that all the Gentiles might hear. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. And then finally in Philippians 3. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Our Father, we ask that you would bless this, your word, this morning as we gaze upon your word, we would hear Christ more, we would see him. So, Father, reveal your son to us that we might worship you and know him more fully. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I spent a couple of weeks reading uh, the latest articles. There's at least three or four every year uh, about the historicity of Christ. Uh, Half of them are against the historicity of the resurrection. And the others are avidly trying to rehash the same thing as last year to argue for the resurrection. And uh, it doesn't really matter. If you read the newest one, you can read 10 years ago. It's the same Set of articles every year. As I was thinking about that this year, I thought, instead of thinking about the historicity in this message, I want to think about the comfort of the resurrection for us. We've read here in Corinthians that 500 witnessed Christ resurrected at one moment. 500 witnesses in one place. Most of them were still alive when Paul was writing it. There was plenty of time for someone to step forward over the decades and say, it was all a hoax. Peter put it up, us up to it. Or, or, you know, I was grieving. You do stupid things when you're grieving. Maybe I hallucinated a little bit in my lack of sleep. Uh, but, uh, but I realize now we were wrong. And yet 500 over a a number of years, indeed the majority of them, Paul says, over two decades are still there, still witnessing to the resurrection as a historic event. And history doesn't record a single one of them changing their mind, going back, denying it. You better believe that if even one Stepped forward 20 years later and said, We had a meeting the night he died and decided this is what we were going to do. All of history would know it, or none of history would record Christ at all. We certainly wouldn't have no record of that while the record of 2,000 years of a resurrected Lord. And so we're going to just take that one group the 500, at their word this morning, Christ is risen from the grave. It's the central hope in the many ways in Paul's letters. and that might surprise us because we expect the cross to be the central place of hope but that that's just how we tend to act in the modern church. Paul had his main focus on the resurrection of course. The two things aren't separated in the New Testament. To talk of the one is to assume the other for the apostles. So I want to think of the hope and comfort that the resurrection lends us this morning. I I had eight or nine points, and I've I've narrowed them down to five for you this morning. And the first has to always be the same. When we think of the hope of the resurrection, the first thing we always need to note is the hope of justification. Paul says it explicitly right there in Romans 4, uh, verse 25. Christ was delivered up for our offenses, but he was raised for our justification. Now, Now there especially perhaps we say, wait a second, the cross is the place of justification. But Paul says it's the empty tomb. But isn't the blood of Christ that which justifies us? Well, I hope you see Paul's point here. Paul's point is that the cross where our justification is earned, paid in full, if Christ had never resurrected from the grave, would only leave us with a possibility it would leave us with a big question. Did God accept the sacrifice? Did God accept what Christ did? But the empty tomb tells us, no, no, you are justified. The Father accepted what the Son did. The tomb, in other words, is like the... uh, the paid in full note you get in the mail. You have your mortgage or your car loan or your student loan and you go through and you pay and hopefully you have a very meticulous checkbook and you keep track of how much you owe and you get to that wonderful day when you think, I'm cutting the last check. But if you're anything like me, you always have that thought after you've sent it. Did it get there late? Do I owe? I, I, I paid the last uh, check on Holly's car recently. And, and then something happened. The, the check didn't get put in the mail like I thought it did. My fault. I'm not blaming anyone. Uh, and the, there was 10 cents interest. I think they canceled the 10 cents. When I went in to pay it, they didn't take them the dime. But um, you, you wait for that note don't you, to come in the mail and it says, mortgage, paid in full. The house is yours. You got the piece of paper. If you're like me, you stick that paper somewhere where you know where to find it in case they try to say otherwise later. The tomb is the paid in full stamp. It's the seal of the Father. It's finished. Just like Christ said on the cross, the Father's saying, you're right, it is finished. Empty tomb. There's no debt left. He doesn't have to stay dead to pay for your debt. It's fully paid. You are truly justified. The father raised the son to declare our acceptance in his sight. Christ is not dead. He is living. Therefore, if you believe in him, you can be assured of your justification. Father didn't want you sitting nervously wondering. Look in the tomb. He is not here. He is risen. He is risen for our justification. The second aspect of hope in the resurrection is the hope of the Spirit. We we didn't read this text, but remember what Christ said on the night he was betrayed. He said... Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. Now, you know Christ there talking about going away is not talking about dying. He's talking about his ascension to the father's right hand. But it isn't a symbolic ascension. And it isn't just the soul of Jesus that ascends to the Father's right hand. It is the risen, living, breathing Christ who ascends to the Father's right hand. At one moment, his body was a corpse in that tomb. And then the air stirred and his heart began to beat And the blood began to pump again. And it is that living Jesus who ascended to the Father's right hand. So it is that living Jesus who sends the Holy Spirit to indwell the believer, to work union with Christ in us, to call us to faith and repentance, to give us the gift of faith, and to continue to conform us into the image of Christ. If Christ was not risen, we would have no hope of the Spirit living within us. But he is risen. And so we have known that Spirit since the day of Pentecost, dwelling within his church and working union and communion between us and the risen Savior. The third aspect of hope. I struggled with how to word it. Because I'm cramming a number of things together. But we'll call it the hope of bread. The hope of bread. What what do I mean there? Well the New Testament keeps talking about bread. Christ of course says of his body. This is my of bread this is my body broken for you the bread is the image of Christ crucified and yet Christ rose his broken body was restored they were able to still see the 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 prints in his hands and in his side but it was a resurrected body his body represented for us that at communion each time not only in its brokenness but we can again never think of him dead without thinking of the life that he has and that we have in him and so Paul uses the idea of bread not only to speak of Christ's body but then he uses that same language of communion bread to speak of us as the body of Christ the church he says in 1 Corinthians ten seventeen, we are one body, one loaf. And then the book of Acts has abundant examples of bread as well. Maybe bread doesn't always get mentioned, but in the book of Acts, the risen Christ supplies food for the need of those who do not have any. And so the New Testament is full of this this bread language. And as we look at Acts 4.33, we see, I think, all of these things come together. It's there on your handout. Acts 4.33, as preaching goes forth, the people are delivered from darkness into the hope and joy of salvation, and their transformation Uh, into Christ in the life they have in Christ transforms everything about their lives. Uh, Now, the the language here isn't of a um, commune where they just give up everything and everyone has the same amount. Uh, The the Greek there, it's a clearly they're selling extra property. Not everyone sold their homes. They still had church in some of these homes but they sold extra property. Some of them sold houses, uh, additional houses they had. They pooled all that money into what we would call a diaconal account. And then it wasn't just distributed to everyone the same amount. It was saved for when anyone had need. And then when someone did have a need, it was taken care of from that fund. But what is the thing that, that spurs all of this on? What is the thing that starts this transformation and this union among believers? Acts 4.33 says, With great power the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. It isn't just the cross. It's the cross and the resurrection which leads to the transformed life of the believer. Our life is hidden in Christ and our life is hidden with Christ in heaven above. What do we have need for more down here? We can provide for others. (coughs) In fact, the risen, resurrected King Jesus provides for those in need here below through His church, which is his body, one bread. And he, as I hope you don't need the reminder of, he does this through an office he is given specifically for this task. We're given deacons so that they might coordinate the body in the work of love and ministry. If any of you do have a need here today, I hope you will talk with one of our deacons. We want to provide for those who suffer because that's part of the resurrection's testimony. That's part of how we testify to the life we have in Christ together. Well, a fourth area of hope is a hope of companion. And this one you... You may have wondered why I included Second Timothy four as one of our readings. It doesn't actually talk about the resurrection any. But I think it makes a powerful point about the resurrection and what that should mean in our daily lives. Here is Paul writing to Timothy, he will within that year probably be executed in Rome. And as he awaits that execution, he mentions to Timothy that everyone has left him. Some of them left for a good reason. Mark and Titus, for example, were called by God to new areas of ministry. Others left with less good reasons and motives. Either way, Paul says, God don't hold it against them. But... Here is Paul, alone at his first trial. Only he says, I wasn't alone. I was alone, all abandoned me, but he says, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. Now, of course, Paul isn't saying that Jesus literally appeared physically beside him at his trial. That's not his point. But, but there is a point about the resurrected Christ here because Paul isn't saying, he isn't saying, that the idea of Christ came into his mind as he stood there alone. The concept of a, a selfless man. The memory even of that specific servant of the Lord. No, no. Paul has more than that in mind. It's not just a a memory or uh, some kind of motivation Christ suffered, so I think I can handle this trial too. Paul is saying, the resurrected Christ has not abandoned me. The resurrected Christ, though he sits at God's right hand, was with me. A living Savior at my trial. And indeed, Christ declares the same to you. You may have a very different circumstance than Paul's, not on trial for being a preacher. I hope any of you, uh, none of you will experience that. I'd prefer not to experience it myself, but, um, but we all have those moments where we feel. Abandoned, or we feel alone. And it, it might be something as simple as uh, you are in the ER and something crazy happens so that no one's allowed into the ER to sit with you. Or you're waiting for that phone call with the diagnosis. Or, or you're there in a room packed with people at the funeral, but you don't feel like any of them are really there the way you're there, you're alone. We all have the alone moments. And Christ would have us know the same thing Paul knew when he stood alone, that the risen, living, breathing, King, eternal, does not abandon your side in those moments. Matthew 28, the Great Commission is given. And how does Christ end it? For his servants, he says, behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. And what does he say in Hebrews 13, 5 and 6? For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? If Christ was not risen, we would be, Paul says, of all people, the most foolish. We'd also be the most alone on the day of trial. But he is risen. And so we are never alone in the hour of trial. Paul says, and you can say, the Lord stood with me. And strengthened me in this hour. And then finally, we have the hope of harvest. The resurrection gives hope by the grave of our loved ones. And the resurrection gives hope at the the looming presence of our own graves ahead of us. Not only in the sense that Christ is with us, as Paul had him with him, but also the hope of a harvest to come. First Corinthians emphasizes that since Christ is not dead, but risen, he is the first fruit of a new harvest. First fruit assumes more fruit. That's rather on the nose, isn't it? You, you can't have first fruit if there isn't any more. And when the New Testament says Christ is the first fruit from the grave, the first fruit of the resurrection, he is the first fruit of the new creation. Well, then there will be more. And that's why Paul there in 1 Corinthians 15 says, not only is our faith a joke if Jesus is not risen, but also all of your loved ones in Christ who have died, over. If Christ is not risen, then they're just gone. End of the story. That's it. But Paul says here, Christ has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. You see, because of the resurrection, Paul doesn't even like saying of believers, they died. Paul likes saying they've fallen asleep. Why? Because they are the coming harvest. They will rise and with us meet the Lord in the air. And they shall forever be with the Lord, not just spiritually or mystically, but bodily. They will be with the Lord. Consider the comfort of this hope as the shorter catechism presents it. Uh, Some of my favorite words ever written that weren't inspired Uh, and some of certainly the best words ever written in the English language We hear in the Shorter Catechism, the souls of believers are at their death made perfect in holiness and do immediately pass into glory and their bodies being still united to Christ do rest in their graves till the resurrection. At the resurrection, believers being raised up in glory shall be openly acknowledged and acquitted in the day of judgment and made perfectly blessed in the full enjoyment of God for all eternity. It's because of this truth, because Christ is risen, that at the grave of our loved ones, we can say, we commit this one to the ground. And we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come through our Lord Jesus Christ at whose coming in glorious majesty the earth and sea shall give up their dead and the mortal bodies of those who sleep in Christ shall be changed and made like his own glorious body by the power by which he is able to subdue all things to himself. He is not here. He is not dead. He is risen. Of all humanity, if he was not risen, we would be the most pathetic sitting here this morning. But he is risen. In him alone is comfort. In him alone is lasting comfort. Not something shallow that passes five minutes from now. But lasting comfort for now and comfort for eternity. Comfort on the bright days and comfort on the darkest days. Comfort that lasts, hope that does not disappoint. Beloved, he is risen. Let's pray.